Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is a bi-weekly panel session uh, on all things DevOps, of all things, hence the name DevOps Unbound. It is sponsored by our good friends at Tricentis, and many thanks to Tricentis for sponsoring DevOps Unbound. For those of you who are catching DevOps Unbound for the first time, in addition to our bi-weekly panel sessions like this, which are pre-recorded, uh, we also do a monthly live roundtable open to the audience, and, and you are you know, one of the guests at the, at the roundtable where you get to ask questions, steer the panel discussion yourself. So if you go to DevOpsUnbound.com or check it out on Digital Anarchist, TechStrongGroup.com uh, or DevOps.com, you'll be able to see the schedule and maybe join in one of our live roundtables. Today, though, is one of our pre-recorded panels and what a panel we have. Our topic today is low-code, no-code, and in, in many of its aspects and, and flavors, if you will. But before we jump into that, I want to introduce you to our audience, uh, to our panel today, and I thought we lost one there for a sec, but we're okay. Uh, let me first introduce you to Brian Vanderbrink. Brian, welcome to DevOps Unbound. Thank you, Alan. Um, yeah, I'm Brian. I uh, work for Valoi. It's a company in the Netherlands. Uh, we completely focus on testing. So we uh, don't have any developers. It's really all about testing uh, for us. And um, um, I worked there for about eight years now. I started really as a, as a tester, uh, test automation, etc. cetera. Uh, but then I also noticed in, my, in the assignments I did that it was also important to learn something about you know, requirements, how, how do you get them uh, ready to be tested. So I focused uh, also a few years on business analysis to, to get you know, going and know what I need for testing. Up until I think approximately five years ago, when I uh, came into uh, contact with OutSystems, OutSystems and um, uh, really focusing now on testing solutions specifically for the OutSystems platform. Uh, and seeing how can you use a local platform in your benefit as a tester. And um, yeah, I really, uh, it really opened a lot of opportunities for me, I think, but also for testers, like how can you work with low code and, and use it for your testing strategy. So. Excellent. And thank you very much, Brian. Next, let me introduce you to Daria Sosa. And if I, I've been trying all through our prelim to get it right. I hope I did. But if not, say it correctly. But please introduce yourself. Okay. Three times the charm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's great to be here in this panel today. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. Uh, so I'm Daria Souza. I'm the co-founder and COO of a company called Kianda Technologies, uh, based in Ireland, uh, helping companies across the globe. Uh, Kianda is a no-code, low-code application development platform, and we, we are the enablers of digital transformation and accelerators of digital transformation for companies. My background is in IT. I work 
worked as a developer, IT consultant uh, across my across different companies, industries uh, during my career, and I came across uh, the fact that how difficult it is to deliver digital solutions uh, for companies. That's how uh, the idea of Kianda was born in uh, mid 2016, uh, with the vision uh, of helping people, regardless of their technical skills, to create the technology they need. Okay, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and thank you for joining us today. Our next panel member is Andrew. Uh, it, it, excuse me, it's Andrew Manby, correct? And Ed, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Andrew Manby. I head up uh, product management uh, for our digital solutions portfolio here at HCL Software. Um, you know, in our portfolio, we have both professional developer low-code platforms and also citizen developer low-code platforms. A little bit about me. Um, I've been involved in multiple successful software products. Um, some of them you may know about a product called Data Stage, which we created uh, back at a former company um, that really, along with Informatica, lit the imagination of the data integration market. And I've also been involved in other market spaces as well, um, including uh, bringing thought leadership to IBM around big data analytics. Excellent. And then last but not least, not necessarily a panel member, but a panel member, but he's also my co-host for DevOps Unbound. It's TechStrong Group CTO and TechStrong Research Principal and co-founder, Mitchell Ashley. Hey, Mitch, how are you? Hey, Alan. Always good to be doing a panel together. And for the folks on the panel, I know, good to see you again, folks that I've met for the first time, like our audience. Uh, good to have you all here. I know we'll have a great discussion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks. So guys and gal, let me kick this off. As I was talking about before we went live, I, I almost view the low-code, no-code uh, discussion with a, a BC before COVID time frame, right? And much like ADBC, we have BC and then pre-COVID. I, I think, and Daria, you're, you're living proof of this. Low-code, no-code was alive and well prior to COVID, right? You started in 2016. Low code, no code's been around obviously much longer than that. But certainly with the onset of COVID and the pandemic, never have we seen a need to do more faster, to get apps out better, to expand the base of people who can develop like we have this past, going on almost two years now, right? Year and a half, or more than a year and a half, two years. Um, and so we, we've seen a, sort of a rapid development in the state of low-code, no-code. Um, and Daria, I don't mean to pick on you, but I'm going to ask you to kind of kick us off here. I, I got to assume that this is what you've seen at your company in particular over the last year and a half to two years. Uh, I think to start with, I could tell you when we founded Kianda, uh, when we would say no code, low code platform, uh, our audience would say, what do you mean? <laughs> now, mm -hmm. we came to a stage that anyone we talk understands now, most of people that we are talking, they understand what we do because of this trend and uh, the movement that that's happening 
with the help of uh, unfortunate event of the pandemic. But low-code, no-code was always here. Uh, solutions that we had, it started long, long uh, years ago. Uh, you know, if we were using Excel sheets, we were using Access, we were using WordPress back then to create our website. So these, they are, the, I think, the initial uh, solutions that we started to use. But uh, it's it came to a stage that with the surge of um, the in remote working, the surge of the digital uh, the digitalization needs that are growing really dramatically now in the last two years, it's going into more enterprises. It's going into more organization level. And what we are seeing, this is a problem that's not a new problem. Currently, only 0.5% of the world population is capable of coding. So what was happening before was, um, you know, business users, uh, anyone working in organizations, they were in need for technical solutions. And they were always waiting uh, for IT teams to go in and create these systems for them. But it's changing now. There is more inclusivity in creating technology. It's empowering people, regardless of them knowing how to code or not. It's giving amazing world of opportunities for people who were not able to be part of it, be actively part of digital transformation, are now becoming what we call citizen developers uh, to create these uh, technologies, companies, organizations uh, are in need. And of course, uh, we live in a digital first world now uh, with everything that's going on around us. Any company who doesn't uh, try to benefit leverage from these technologies that are rapid application development are going to stay unfortunately be, uh, behind uh, when it comes to competitive advantages and improving or uh, you know creating that economical value uh, for their organizations. Great. Folks on my panel, thoughts? follow on to that? Yeah, I have uh, a few thoughts. Uh, so, you know, as Mitch and I have discussed a couple of times, right? I mean, for me, uh, you know, low code or sort of no code has been around for a long period of time. In fact, my father-in-law was programming in DBase, you know, many years ago, right? So, um, an you know, so people, name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, okay. Let's get Delphi, Fox Pro, uh, all of those things out on the I table. Think let's, I think I met your father-in-law. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so all of these things have been around for a long period of time, right? And if if technology has taught us anything, is they evolve to serve a particular need. And they are, that's because the business was trying to accomplish a particular outcome, right? So they built something, they've effectively had it deployed. Now, what's happened now is, um, you know, we have a lot more tech-savvy people in the workforce. And, you know, IT is taking a little bit more proactive approach. They want a bit more governance. They want a bit more standardization. They also want to be sure of the security and governance of what the business buys. And I think this generation of, uh, low code and also no code tools, which I think are two separate things, by the way, um, Absolutely. Uh, help us to do that. And so, you know, I don't think it's new. You know, what's actually interesting, and I hope we're going to get to this, Alan, is is the type of, you know, things that we're seeing that people are building with these individual products. So I think it was always there beforehand. Um, I think a lot of organizations, like, for instance, we have uh, one major airline, and there's a couple of hundred people who are business users building applications on it, right? Uh, but typically, you know, to be clear, a lot of them are employee-facing, 
and they fill the gap between some of those traditional enterprise applications or maybe to some of those SaaS franchises that we often hear about now to get the job done. Right? So, so I know, think it's, it was alive and well before, and I think it's continuing. It, it absolutely is continuing, but I think it's changing. And, and Brian, I think you might serve as a poster child. I think actually, um, if you look a few years ago, like maybe four or five years ago, a lot of companies were maybe starting to work with, for example, health systems, but local platforms, um, using them as smaller apps, basically in their organization, for example, you know, logging hours of your, of your work, whatever. Um, and then it started to grow like, hey, we can really get to uh, a product really fast. And then other uh, departments of the organization see, hey, they realized an app in a few months and it's interesting to maybe expand on it. And then you see like a center of excellence within a company start to build apps and then it grows bigger. And now I think currently more and more organizations actually use low code for their core applications as well. So actually the most important processes are also done with low code nowadays. And it's, it's growing like that. Um, because they see the benefits, I guess. Um, and well, what I why see, shouldn't they? Yeah, and, and what I see in my work as well is that um, if you work in a high-code environment, it might be difficult for a tester or for a business analyst to say, hey, um, this is how it works, and dive into the, the product, you know, dive into the code. Then you need these technical skills. But I think with low-code, it's easier, for, for example, for a tester to say, is this really what we meant with this piece of software? And you can really get the dialogue going with your developer, with your even with your product owner, for example, um, to see, is it really doing what we want it to do? And how can we improve it, for example? And that's so much easier in a low-code environment, I think, than in an high-code environment. You know, Alan, there's... Um... Accelerated strategies now. Tech strong research did some uh, research earlier this year on low code, no code, and there were some interesting trends in that. And I think part of it is was driven by, you know, uh, Dario was talking about the the effect of the pandemic. You were as well. That rose software to prominence in terms of business strategy must have capabilities, and along with that sort of low code, no code was sort of viewed by IT as something that happened outside of IT. We don't really care about it. The business units are doing whatever, you know, doing something, whatever. Two, it is a mainstream platform. And I'm not saying it wasn't before, but I think the the embracing of low code, no code is a strategy. Um, I think that improved over the last 18 months. And you can also see it by the need to access data, what information people need to get to, because no application is truly an island. They eventually have to get security. They eventually have to get to data and other systems. And the fact that, Andrew, you talk about um, citizen developers and professional right. developers, both as legitimate as IT viewing those as legitimate uh, creators of applications, I mean, is are you seeing that trend as well? That certainly bore out in our research. Yeah, so so we have some of our own survey uh, that's coming out very shortly that we did with Forrester. You know, we actually found that from a business decision maker perspective, for the people surveyed, eighty percent of them said that low code was one of the top three IT priorities for the organization. Right. Mm. 
you know, 77% of the respondents actually said that, you know, agility and velocity were the two most important things to their business uh, in, in achieving that. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, companies are, are realizing that. Um, I, I, do, I do think that um, there is other, there's a couple of other different phenomena. And I think, Mitch, you and I have talked about this, you know, when we've had a separate conversation. I do think there are the, the organically grown stuff that, you know, Brian was talking about, which is, you know, you, you provide a citizen development tool, you establish a center of excellence, right? And then you, you sort of start draining the, the, um, the desire of the organization to fill the gap with building these applications. But I think there's also, and maybe you touched on it, Brian, is, you know, organizations are taking also a, top, a top-down type approach, right? And they're saying, um, you know, what are the important digital touch points I have in my organization? And given the advent of COVID, what do I need to be able to fill the gap or continue my business, right? So if I'm a retailer through the early part of COVID, one of the biggest challenges I had was how do I handle, you know, touchless commerce? You know, how do I, you know, pick up the deliveries and still allow my retail department to function, right? Or say, for instance, I'm a tax office, right? And all of a sudden, you know, the tax function, there's no people in the office. And what we want people to do is start filing an abeyance, uh, request to delay the delivery of the taxes. How are you going to do that? Or, you know, families are looking for special um, support, family services support, right? So those types of things have suddenly become very, very important and low code, whether it was built by the IT organization or it was built by the business has really helped to fill the void. Sometimes they've been brand new things and sometimes they're just really about adapting the business to the new reality. Absolutely. Let me let me weigh in here. You know, I, I think prior to the pandemic, there is a long history of low code, as I think, Andrew, you pointed out, right? Though maybe not have been called low code then. Um, but prior to the pandemic, low code, no code was around. But a lot of people viewed it as, look, if I got to get something done simply, it, it's it's Minecraft, you know, for adults. It, it's it's easy, you know, for simple time. As I think Brian, you mentioned, it's good if I want to track my my hours or something like that. It's a glorified spreadsheet. And then I I think what we've seen, at, you know with the pandemic is in my mind we've seen three branches of low code no code and i think andrew and mitchell you both mentioned it one is no code and and i got to be really honest with you i got a problem with that i have the same problem with no code that i have with no ops i think that's pure marketing and i don't know what you can truly truly do with just no code but and we can talk about that. Feel free when I'm done. Uh, I, 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 I'm just thinking about your Excel spreadsheet, right? You know, uh-huh. Excel is no code until you type an app formula. Right. And then, then all of a sudden, you better take it from me. I'm illiterate on Excel formulas. So I <laughs> you know put there's in, code there. You put an expression, <laughs> you're now coding, right? <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. But, but when we look at, you know, quote, unquote, low mm. code, here's the big takeaway with COVID for me is we have low code for developer teams and and Brian, I'm going to include 
testers in there because testers were already scripting and, and doing some coding in order to do write their test. So we have low code for development teams, DevOps teams, whatever you want to call them, developers. And then we have low code for the you know, quote unquote citizen developer. These are people who traditionally didn't do any development other than maybe spreadsheets. And you know, lo and behold, the business analyst, the person over in sales or marketing or in HR, they now have the capability of not having to wait or go through that whole IT process-driven formula, but they could use, you know, some paint by numbers and 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 relatively easily build a, a very functional application. Don't don't equate citizen developer with simple app. There, there's some sophisticated stuff we could do now. I, I, I want to react on that is that um, indeed the, the you have the citizen developers, but also the IT development teams working with low code. Um, yep. But what I do see is that more and more companies choose low code to basically restructure their, uh, how do you say, legacy applications, you know, rebuild it or rethink their software. Um, and I think it's really crucial to still have, maybe you can, you can work with citizen developers as part of, okay, what are the business requirements we need and how are we going to implement it, et cetera. But it is super important, I think, to still have your development skills in par with what you need because um, even with low code, maybe it's easier to make something, but you still need the same kind of skill set that the developer would have to know how do I structure things, um, you know, how do I set up my architecture around it? Those kinds of things are still development skills, maybe without coding, but it's still development skills, I think. And that's why I think you always need maybe a senior developer, whatever, in your team to be able to handle those kinds of questions and then support it, I think, of course, by juniors or citizen developers even. But the development skills that you need to build in applications are still very much necessary, I think. Agreed. Daria? Yeah, I, would like, I would like to add something, uh, a point to what you said, Alan, to your definitions. So there are solutions in the market that low-code solutions, they generate code for a developer to go in, speed up this process of delivery and make the changes yeah. as they wish. There are solutions like what we provide. We don't generate code. So we call ourselves, as our customers call, a true no-code platform. However, we allow developers to go in and create widgets, create rules and actions that can help them uh, bring that end-to-end -end business application to life. And I think that's important because uh, there is a good bit of differentiation between them. And from our experience, we work with IT teams as well yeah. as business departments. But we start with IT departments because they've seen the, 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 the benefits they can get the by power. using a platform like this, exactly filling the gaps that they might have. And now even since the pandemic, we are talking to more public uh, entities for, um, uh, for public hospitals, for example, for government agencies, even them, they tend to be slower to catch up with the innovation and technologies. Even them are looking at low-code, no-code systems, how they can use their legacy systems 
which they've been using maybe two decades, but they had no idea how actually they could bring a, a user-friendly interface on top of these systems. So that's where I think solutions like rapid application development solutions that uh, come into place and bring a lot of benefits to organizations. Yeah, I, I would agree that certainly, you know, some of those you think traditional sort of holdouts right, typically on the laggards and the adoption curve are certainly doing that. Um, you know, we've seen that in state government. We've seen that in uh, large tax authorities. Uh, we've also seen that in the District of Columbia Motor Vehicle Registry. Um, but I think also one of the things that, you know, I want to make sure that we add to the conversation, I, I sort of touched on it, is, you know, uh, I think organizations, uh, I'm just thinking about one of the the small, actually, the first private uh, distribution-only utility in North America is the Vermont Electric Company, um, and they. A lot of companies want to go through a digital transformation, right? I know, you know, we we all heard that term, right? But you know, they really set out a plan for a number of years to sort of think about how they could not only replace some of the legacy, but really sort of think about, you know, shifting the cheese on what does it mean to digitize the processes that they actually do. So I think for some of these organizations, you know, they're not only thinking about, okay, how do I put, you know, a new front end on an existing system where, you know, it's been particularly inflexible, but I think also, also a lot of them are a lot more, you know, thinking about, how do I, you know, move the cheese, right? So in the case of the DCDMV, how do I, for instance, say, I don't want to have people go into a motor vehicle registry to register their vehicle, right? I don't need them to go into a public office to pay a parking fine or a speeding ticket. What if we just actually changed our processes and put it on one of these things, right? So I, I think a lot of organizations out there are actually thinking about low code in that way. And I think that's where it's the conversation shifts from being an IT way and an enabler to also being, all right, you know, the CMO, right? The COO has a seat at the table and she is just saying, look, you know, how can we improve the engagement with our customers um, and where, you know, our traditional ways of engagement with them have changed significantly. And, and I see um, probably equal amounts of, you know, companies coming to us saying, I'd like to do this, right? You know, I want to change the way people buy tires for their cars, right? You know, I, in thinking about this, it, it seems that sometimes the terms we create don't always serve us well. Right. 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 And, you know, visual program is, pram, programming is what we would have called low code mm. maybe five or 10 years ago. And, you know, is a macro low code or no code? I actually don't really care. It's a macro. <laughs> Just like, you know, is, is Python a scripting language or programming language? I don't really don't care. You know, it sort of doesn't matter. I think the end result is, you know, you talked about, Dario, the rapid application development. And I don't mean the rad term, but creating applications quickly and expanding the universe of people who can do that uh, across the business is all good. I mean, it's to the benefit to the end of the business. Now we can create a mess for ourselves and we can do it well mm -hmm. in, in a way that, you know, it, it, it works together. But I think hopefully we get to a point in a year or two where we don't think about low code, no code, right? It's just, you know, it's another way of, it's an application platform for creating apps and uh, anybody can do it. 
Because it's, it's, I mean, where there's no code, I don't care if Trello's a no code or a low code. I don't care if Zapier is a low code or a no code, you know, just to pick a few commonly used things. Yeah. I think we're about the result we want to get. Yeah, I agree, Mitch. I mean, um, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, you know, we obviously know that technology goes in cycles. Um, you know, certainly in our portfolio, we have low code that we would sell to a customer for doing that specific task, right? And there's a broad set of use cases. But you know, low code for or that sort of no code citizen developer construct exists in our digital experience platform. And it also exists in some technology we have specifically for the DevOps process, which is a low-code version way of them to help orchestrate what they do in the, in the DevOps process. And you think to yourself, well, are they a commercial low-code tool? Well, no, but they're bringing the enshrining the value of a no-code, low-code tool to a specific challenge. You know, maybe that will be the way that this market will evolve over time. But definitely, I would say that, you know, uh, where we are right now is it's permeating into lots of different places, right? You know, does that mean that, say, is Monday a no-code tool? But probably what makes it stickier is the fact that it has some no-code type capabilities to it, right? And maybe that's okay, right, for, for customizing certain types of applications. Well, it ventures into the whole workspace, workflow space, right? I mean... Right. You know, Atlassian now is positioning themselves as a competitor to Monday and, and others as a workflow tool. And you can say that's no code or low code too. So it, it's the, the, it's really, when we talk about that as a segment of the market, it really is much bigger than just what we might narrowly define as low code. Yeah. So to me, the, the definition goes back to something Brian was talking about earlier, and that is what's the involvement of IT? Right. Even with this citizen developer thing, I see a bifurcating. There are some cases where traditional IT teams are calling in a non-traditional IT person to help with the building, uh, architecting, sizing of an app. And that non-traditional IT person benefits from the team being using you know, low code, you low code, no code tools, right? So that's one scenario with the IT department's involvement. Then there's sort of a shadow low code, no code development kind of operation without IT, right? Where, hey man, I, I, it takes too long. I don't want to go through the whole change management process and the architecting. I just need this quickly. Uh, and, and I got the tool to do it and it's cheap. It's SaaS, and it's boom, 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 and I'm done. Hey, where'd that come from? I built it. You built it? Yeah, I built it. Right? And th that's powerful. I'm not going to, let's not kid ourselves. That's a powerful enabler in an organization. When the IT person says, hey, wait a second, where, where'd you get that? I built that. Right? How do these two, how do those two jive? And I think that's really where the friction, where the rubber meets the road. And what is low code? What is no code? Who does it? it, it I think the delineation is, is IT involved or not? And, and you know, Daria, you were saying, you know, most of your engagements are going through the IT department. Brian, you seem to be on the IT 
department is involved side of the house as well. Andrew, I've heard you go both ways here a little bit. Um, but to me, that's that's the that's the you know the key the key sort of indicator. Well, Alan, can I ask you a question then? Right, sure. So, you know, I, I tend to think about low code for citizen developers to be a bit like a sandbox, right? You know, you know, uh, I live where I live. There's a zoo a mile away, right? And there's an area there, and a kids' playground. There's a tent, and there's a sandbox underneath it, right? And it makes it very easy for the families to sit down and observe their kids. Right. So, you know, I think the way that uh, no code is developing if, from an IT perspective, it's trust but verify. I, can I see what they're doing? If they get into trouble, I can help them out. Or as, as uh, Dahlia said, you know, if there's something that they need, right, maybe they need a specific widget to do a payment or they need something to do a, uh, a delivery, a deliver a package, or they need some very specific type of math problem and they build an algorithm in MATLAB and they want to bring it in, that's when IT um, does that. But also, you know, it's that oversight and governance, right? Trust but verify, but, you know, who's using the application? What, are, what, what data do they have access to? Are they doing select star from HR executive, um, you know, uh, salaries, right? But, you know, is someone curating those data sources for them so, you know, they can do no harm uh, in their developments? So I, I think that's the place where, you know, citizen development is, uh, is going. I think that's where organizations want to invest. That's where they put the COEs. I think the days of, say, my father-in-law building something in DBase will go away from an IT perspective. So let me use your sandbox analogy. I'll put forth the proposition to you that most parents, a lot of mommies, take their kids to the sandbox and leave them there because it's a relatively safe environment and they can concentrate on other things, maybe doing some of their own work or speaking to the other moms or what have you, and they, they consider it a safe environment to leave their kids, and they, don't, they only keep half an eye on them versus, you know, being on swings or something. Um, is, is Alan, so, so I think you, uh, for me, you hit the nail on the head, right? If it's about IT backlog, you've, you've effectively given one strategy to halve your or reduce your IT backlog because with your supervision, right, the, the moms can go off and do something else, which they focus on, which really requires their skills. But then, mm -hmm. you know, um, as citizen developers in the sandbox, I can get what I need done for the business faster. Isn't that like well, a, let's division go to of Brian. a division of labor? It is sort of a division of labor because we're not talking about kids in sandboxes. But when you have testers doing low code, no code, you know, building quick, you know, being able to do testing faster, better, that to me is a very different low code, no code use, right? That's a. Well, we often uh, see, like, for example, at, uh, with Presentis, Presentis is a low code testing tool. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think it's important as a company, if, for example, I choose low-code development for my core applications, uh, then also you have to probably think about what does that mean for the other roles within the IT department? Like, do we have to think about then also a low-code testing tool that fits our development platform, for example? Um, often, uh, I think what I still see happening is that um, 
we choose lo local for one for for several reasons and the the decisions that uh, that help to help that also you can uh, uh, rely on okay that's the same decisions we need for our test tooling for example um and i think what's important is that i think what low code opens is that you can work with a low code platform and use those um, capabilities for a testing perspective as well so for example if i test the process it takes a lot of time to go through all the screens and to test like a, a workflow for example and i'm testing a workflow and there's all kinds of data i need to test specific outcomes of that workflow um, Try to find solutions in your platform to basically mock that data or to set that data up through a faster way than to going through all those screens. Maybe you can use an API or you can leverage something out of the platform to make that faster. Um, and I think that's where low-code testing comes in place, is that it's easier to shift left towards a developer and discuss those kinds of things. Like, okay, we have... Um, requirement we want from this business perspective. Uh, what do we need to build that as a developer? And what do we need as a tester to test that more efficiently? And I think that's where the thing come together is that if we discuss that within a team and then it's really an IT thing, um, what do we need from a technology perspective to make everything, everybody's life easier, basically? Um, and I think low-code, uh, companies choose low-code, for example, because they have a challenge in finding the technical people to be able to build their apps. And we have similar challenges in testing that it's difficult to find the technical people to build the technical scripts. So there, I think we need to make sure as a company that you match these, yeah, these challenges uh, in the same way that, okay, um, low-code platforms probably also need low-code uh, testers because you have you know, you made those decisions for a reason, I guess. Um, and that's what I see in my work. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, it opens a lot of opportunities as a tester to be more efficient in your work and to make sure that you keep up the pace with your developers because uh, local development is a lot faster than traditional development. And if you don't change as a tester as well, you'll always be like a bottleneck in the process because you're not as fast anymore. And then that's why you need to think of smarter solutions uh, as well. Aria, low-code apps need low-code testers? Sorry? Brian said something that if you have low-code apps, it makes low sense to have low-code testers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just to add to the uh, original conversation about governance and security, I would like to maybe add a couple of points there. I think, uh, again, solution to what you mentioned, Alan, there is, um, yes, we deal with IT departments and you know, business users are being exposed to these solutions, low-code, no-code solutions. Where is the security? Who has access to what? And how come? How we can implement governance? Uh, and it sounds like a broad uh, concept, but you know, any organization would need to implement governance. You know, how they operate, what is a must, what is a should, what is a can for them to do, and how to do things. A same approach should be implemented when it comes to uh, employing this type of local, no-code solution. 
solutions. So just because the platform is like a Lego building block or sandbox, as you mentioned, it doesn't mean that uh, we should forget about everything. It's too exciting. Let's build whatever we need and you know roll it out quickly. I think the same approach as company would have had in their uh, you know uh, change management, change control, governance. They all should be uh, now considered the same way for local no-code approaches, whether it's IT building it or whether it's business users building it. And what we usually see that's working is uh, when IT and business departments work together. So IT creates some kind of a controlled environment for these non-IT users to go in and create the solutions while IT is shadowing them or you know supervising them, giving them the tools they need, but at the end it's all a controlled environment where uh, I'm I'm really biggest fan of uh, giving people um, the the free uh, innovative solutions that they can freely innovate and create the solutions they need, but this should not come without a plan. So low-code, no-code systems should not be implemented without the plan. So that's why we are seeing sometimes a struggle uh, the companies go through uh, because they see the opportunities. They start with one solution and they want to implement so many more in the couple of months period. And it can be challenging if there is no plan. It can be challenging if there is no a strategy or, or overarching strategy that looks uh, to different kind of uh, aspects of how uh, to implement such a rapid application development system. Yeah, yeah, well, we, uh, yeah I would I, I'd, I'd probably disagree because, uh, you know, I think there's different modalities. You know, I would say, you know, uh, a lot of citizen developer low code is a either they develop it to prototype it and then hand it, hand it to IT once they've actually proven it. Sometimes they're there for a period of time, so it's literally like a pop up, or um, you know, a pop up booth or you know, like a, a food a, a food truck. You know, it arrives, it serves a purpose, and then is torn down. Right. So uh, I don't think you can necessarily have IT be involved in all of them. I mean, certainly have some sort of, you know, diamond team to do that. But I don't think it all happens like that. I think there's different there's different ways that, yeah, some of it is definitely planned out through IT and business to deliver something. Sometimes it's, you know, a cross-functional team and it's driven by the business. But I think part of the attraction of low code, and we mustn't forget about it, is, is that organic nature and the empowerment of the people in the business to get their job done. And sometimes, you know, back to Alan's point is, you know, you don't want to get slowed down by what IT is doing. And if, as vendors, if we do our job correctly, we give them that safe space to be able to do that, right? Trust, but verify. I think it's important to, uh, I think, indeed, what it opens, and I agree there, is that it allows you to prototype things uh, from a business perspective. But I think what's important then in the next phase is that that prototype is not become a production environment, basically. So, you know, you have to make sure that Sometimes what we say is that if you look at old spaghetti code, it's with low code, it's easy to make like fast cooking spaghetti, basically, because <laughs> you can, you know, you can make your mistakes faster because it allows you to create things faster as well. So I think indeed you, you start with a prototype, you, you, you verify the basic concept. And then at some point, if you really want to structurally have a core application out of it, it has to go through, you know, architecture principles and things like that. Um, I think that is an, that's what Daria also means maybe with the plan is that 
once it goes to that, after that first phase, it really goes into that planning phase and how are we going to structurally broaden this application, for example. Absolutely. Just to add there, um, so the applications we will we deliver or our customers are delivering are core applications, core business applications. And I don't see them working well in terms of security and governance if they are just let and there is no plan or there is no uh, cooperation with IT teams. So from my experience, I've seen this and they have really critical solutions are being built with low-code, no-code systems, and they are connecting to critical data as well, and especially with security in mind that we all have to have nowadays. I don't see this uh, uh, getting to the highest potential uh, without IT uh, being involved. Yeah, I would, I would agree about that, but I, I, I was... Uh... I would argue, continue to argue that there are, there are a lot of things that need to be get put in production in a safe space that have been curated by IT that we just allow the business to run with, right? That's just the nature of the beast, right? And Absolutely. to be honest, I don't know why you would want to change that. Well, this is a great conversation, but we're, we're out of time. We're over time. Um, but, you know, obviously, if you couldn't tell at home, you know, listening to this, there's a lot more we could we could have spent all day talking and still not cover it all. Maybe we'll we'll have to rerun it and bring it back for another low code no code episode soon. But we're going to need to uh, wrap up this episode of DevOps Unbound. Brian, Andrew, Daria, thank you so much for for joining in and contributing to this panel. It was great. Mitchell, as always, good job, man. You know, you're doing this. Enjoyed listening to the panel as well as participating. It's a great group. Absolutely. Many thanks to Tricentis for sponsoring DevOps Unbound. We'll be back in two weeks with a, a fresh topic related to DevOps. Um, we hope to, hope to see you there and have us join us. But for now, this is Alan Schimmel for DevOps Unbound. Have a great day, everyone. Mm -hmm.